commentaries. The final frontier. <laughs> These are the voyages of crane kick commentaries. Hell yeah. <laughs> on its never ending mission. Never ending to mission. To talk about movies. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Crane Kick Commentaries. My name is Jake Del Mastro. And as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Fuck, yes, this is a good episode. Yes, this is an amazing episode. I hope it is. (laughs) I I hope it turns into one, but yeah. Yeah, I hope it turns into one. It's an exciting episode. This is a very exciting episode. This is big, big for us. Uh, (laughs) Very big. So, as as many of you know, we're very big fans of Star Trek here. Indeed. On the Cricket Commentary Podcast. And today... We are covering uh, one of the most interesting films, I think, in the Star Trek series, and that is... It really is fascinating. The very the very first one, Star Trek The Motion Picture. And what a title that is. Yeah, that's, that's really setting it up. Because that's what it is. It's, yeah. They really tell you... They tell you what you're going to see. Hopefully you've seen Star Trek, the non-motion picture, before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this episode's so Trek heavy that yeah. I so mean... this is gonna be a probably a pretty indulgent episode. <laughs> Just wanna <laughs> put that out there. I mean, yeah, it's 2022. We're starting the new year with a a, a self indulgent episode. Yeah, because you know, because it's Star Trek. Fuck yeah, and, you know, fucking. Good We're going shit. to start the year out right. So exactly, we figured we figured this is the best way to do it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna fucking do it. This episode is going to be kind of most of the pre, pre Yeah, well, stuff, it's going to kind of be the story of, of you know, you know, the, the genesis of this movie and the long and winding yeah. road that it was. Yeah, anyone who has, who has listened to all, any long-time listeners will know that uh, we've, we, we have talked about various details of this story. In, yeah, that's uh, true, because, like, we, we cover Star Trek Basically every episode when we do our six degrees yeah, segment. Yeah. Uh which we won't do this week. <laughs> but Well yeah, you'll it, see. It'll you'll be see. An interesting, you'll see, you'll, you'll see. see. You'll see. You might be wondering. Um but uh yeah, no, we've sort of covered a lot of things we've touched on this time period in that because cause we tend to say like, okay, a lot of movies like in the seventies, like it's harder to find Star Trek connections, right? Exactly, yeah. And that's because there was almost no Star Trek in the 70s. And we're, yeah, exactly. We're going to find out why and we're going to look into it. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so I guess we should start by you summarizing the film, uh, for us. I believe it's because, your turn. Uh, no, it's actually, it's actually not because I summarized, uh, the last film. Which was uh, oh you summarized the last one that's interesting because it says here in the outline that it's your turn. Uh, well, the outline and is it's re- lying because you wrote it. Oh right, yeah, okay. So, um, um uh, okay. So as everybody recalls, we're 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 trying to you know trim down our uh, <laughs> our summaries because they started getting a they bit started out getting out of hand. But also, know? it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to see how much can you get through in. Uh, yeah, and minutes. I'm notoriously, I'm like really bad with Star Trek movies, especially like so. This is gonna be an interesting. Well, one. I mean, you just recently watched it, so hopefully, yeah, I watched you remember it, like, at least uh, what's yeah, going yesterday on yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, well, hopefully you remember. I feel like I'm gonna get lost halfway. All right, sorry. Let me set. Let me get my. Also, timer I have here. no, I, I have no characters' names besides the main cast. 
Well, you know Decker and Ilya and Viger, Ilya, and I think right. those that's are the name. only ones you probably need to know. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you ready? Um, yeah, five minutes summary. I I am ready. Timer starting now. Okay, so it opens up. You've got a bunch of Klingons, and they're like, you know, being all Klingon-y and, and you know, intense. And they encounter some strange phenomenon that, uh, 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 uh it, I think it destroys a couple of their ships. I'm not sure, but it, it's, it's bad news for the Klingons. And then news makes its way to Starfleet that there's this strange uh, uh, energy formation that's got immense power that's moving towards the the planet earth at an astonishing rate so they uh they they need to uh get a starship over there but uh uh oh there's no starships around except for the uh the uh newly minted enterprise and then i say newly minted because it's, this is brand new systems this is not the enterprise of the 1960s this is a a a, a more futuristic enterprise with 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 all the accoutrements of the of the next one might even say of the next generation but uh, uh, we won't get there yet um so anyway the only person who 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 well not the only person but out of the woodwork comes captain kirk admiral kirk sorry excuse me to uh, 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 uh he inserts himself into the mission to intercept this strange energy formation that killed the klingons so he goes onto the Enterprise, and he's like, sorry, current captain of the Enterprise, Decker, um, but I am usurping your job. Uh, so, sorry, fuck you, I'm going to be the captain. And Decker's not happy about it. Decker's, like, uh, 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 pretty displeased. Meanwhile, we've seen Spock uh, on, I believe he's on Vulcan. It looks like he's on Vulcan. I'm not 100% sure yeah. about that, but yeah. he's, he's, do- he's doing some sort of Vulcan ceremony that the uh, culinar. Uh, later... Colinara? Colinar. 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 Oh, okay. Just keep going. Well, keep going. Anyway, he, he we later learn that this is a ceremony to like remove the last of his humanness to turn him into like, you know, a full Vulcan. You know, he wants to be full em- emotionless Vulcan, so this is, you know, super intense. But that's, you know, happening elsewhere. Um so yeah, so then they they, they, they get on the ship and then they start flying towards this energy thing and then Spock joins them. Uh, and is like, I was about to lose my humanness when I felt the calling of a consciousness. I think it came from inside the energy thing. So I'm going to come with you. So he goes with them and like everyone's super happy to see him, but he doesn't really seem to care about anybody else. So everybody's a little bit concerned about Spock. Um, and then they encounter the energy thing and it's like, oh shit, it's kind of weird. And they get they go into it they enter it and because they think there's something in the center they think there's something living in the center or some not necessarily living but something causing it so they get to the center and they find this 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 enormous creature that turns out that or this ship and it starts like scanning them and it takes one of their crew members ilea and it kills her but then it sends her body back as like this like you know probe it's not her body it's 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 a recreation of her body as a probe but it's a mechanism, but it's, you know, it's exactly like her. It's copied her DNA down to the exact minute detail. So it's basically her. It's got all her memory and everything. So they try and use this to, like, you know, gain her her, her trust. Anyway, they eventually find out that this, this, sh- this thing that ha- is heading towards Earth is called V'ger. 
uh, and it's trying to find its creator. Um, so they eventually they get to Earth because they're stuck inside this thing. It, it sucks them in and they can't get out. Um, so they're just riding this thing to Earth. Eventually they find out that uh, uh, V'ger is actually <gasps> Voyager. It's actually huh? a, a, a Voyager probe. Yep. I know, crazy twist. It was made by humans Less and the creators were actually... The creators were actually us humans, so everyone's like, "Holy shit!" So then, like, uh, 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 gonna like kill everybody on Earth because they're uh, they're not the creators. They don't understand uh, life. So then, Decker is like, "Wait, we have to we uh, uh, do something." So he combines with Viger and Ilea, and he becomes the next evolution, and they evolve into a new species of life form, and then uh, 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 the. The, the new Enterprise boldly continues its mission after they evolve and see a new life form. And Spock is like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out on the, uh, on the Enterprise. And then they go off and, and are sick. 12 and, seconds. Uh, yeah. 10. Uh, anything else that I missed? Anything? 9, um, 8, 7, 6? Uh, no, I think, no, you just got Decker, yeah, Ilya, and everything, everything seems to be working out pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm good. And there we go. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely missed a few things in the middle yeah. there. Yeah, so let me just think. Is there anything, like, important that you left out? Like, the people dying at the beginning in the... Yeah, uh, on the space station. So, I mean, you kind of got it. I think it was just a little hard to parse because it was pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of... I, I think I uh, I focused too much on the beginning part yeah. because... No, no, that's cool. Was, but, um, but... Yeah, so basically they just go on this journey to find this creature that is like, looking for like, its creator the, and there's some major themes here yeah, right exactly like humanity and and uh emotion and evolution exactly you know? and it's basically this mechanical form of life you know emerges and it's looking for its creator but it believes that its creator exactly. must be a machine like him but Vija realizes that the carbon units are in fact the creator the creator indeed and then they merge and yeah, become one exactly and it's a beautiful moment it is a beautiful moment with some pretty cool uh, special effects uh, yeah so with that should we talk about some initial thoughts about this yeah, movie yeah yeah i this... i think this movie is underrated oh interesting because underrated why I do you think, say underrated well most people I talk to seem to think that this is their least favorite Star Trek movie. Really? Yeah. And also, like, I've heard a lot of criticism that, like, it's overly long. It, uh, really well, boring. You, could, you uh, could absolutely argue that the f it starts a half hour in. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely say that. The first half, the first half hour of the film is for the fans. Yeah, exactly. Who wrote the million letters. Exactly. And, but you know, they deserve first, it. <laughs> exactly. The first thirty-six minutes is for the hardcore Trekkies. Yeah. And then the movie actually starts for everybody else about thirty, thirty-six minutes in. Yeah. So it's not really a two-hour movie. It's an hour and thirty-minute movie. But yeah. But, no. Yeah. But I, I think like a lot of people, like basically rag on this movie because it's a, it's like pretty slow and, uh, like it's, it's a very A to B plot. Yeah. Like it's not. And, like, uh, you know, it doesn't have as much action in it, like, you know, Wrath of Khan or anything, but, like, you know, I think it's an absolutely solid 
fucking Star Trek movie. And I think that it, more than any of the other films in the series, I think, uh, embodies the themes of the original series a lot better. Exactly. It absolutely captures, like like we were saying, the those kind of lofty philosophical... Exactly. So, like, you know. in my opinion, this is like if you took an episode of Star Trek and gave it a really big budget. <laughs> exactly. This and is what would happen. And that was the plan, and I think that... Well, not necessarily yeah. exactly, but yeah, well... But I, I think that it, this, this is a very, like, good continuation of the series. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, I don't know that, like, I don't know, I'm trying to remember all the other films, because I, I, I... Okay, so you, you know Rathacon? Yeah, they're all blurred in my brain. There's this one, there's Rathacon, you know Search there's, for Spock? Uh, yeah, there's Search for Spock, then there's The Voyage Home. Yeah. And then is there another one after that? Yeah. There's a couple. <laughs> There's like f- three more after that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm th- just thinking with the original cast. I'm not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, uh, uh, there's the undiscovered country. There's right. the final frontier. Uh, yeah. Which is the one in between? Oh no, I just named them all. Oh, you did. I, so I literally, it's it. the final yeah, frontier right. is the one you... that I that I right. forgot because it's the worst one. Right. I named it last uh, instead so of in one... the right order. Right, you just left it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's the one I think Shatner directed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which one did uh, uh Nimoy direct? A good chunk of them. Uh, he so I think he directed the first one he directed. I think was Search for Spock because right. he wasn't in Makes it. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, so he directed Search for Spock. He directed Voyage Home. And I, no, he did not direct uh, Undiscovered Country. That was Nicholas Meyer, who also directed some of the other ones. But this right, film, yeah, yes, this film was directed by Robert Wise, which I think was a very interesting choice. Yeah, it's a. Uh, <laughs> why do you think it's an interesting choice? Well, just because it's like his uh, history of uh, as a director. Like, you know, what are his two like most famous films? Would you say West Side Story? Yeah. Sound of Sound of Music. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I, if you watch this movie, I actually totally see it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. There's there's a lot of that in there. I mean, yeah. more like, uh, um, like related to this film, he did like Andromeda Strain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But those are those are the two that come to mind. Yeah, those mind. are the two like <laughs> biggest ones that he did, right? Yeah. But yeah, I could totally um, see that. Uh. So yeah, it, this movie uh, 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 definitely um, visually, I thought of two thousand one. It's funny you should say the that. First thing, but we... we'll talk about that more later. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we will. Yeah. And as I, soon as I saw, do you it, know I was like, why? Definitely... Do you know why it looks like it? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But I mean, also just kind of like the thematic similarities, I think. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's more than just the visuals. Yeah, it's exactly. The, the whole, a lot of the, uh, yeah, like Spock floating into the, uh, a the floating de- the into, of... into the Vedra orifice. Yeah, like that was straight. I thought I was watching 2001 for a moment. There. Yeah, <laughs> the spacesuits look really reminiscent, actually. Yeah, and that scene is just sick. I think that exact scene is in 2001. 2001. Not quite. It's. I mean, they're similar ideas like isn't paul like floating towards paul like who's paul 
Oh, that must be the actor's name. I. What's the character's name? I don't name? think either of the actors. Well, the, which one? Dave or Frank? Dave. Okay, in the end. Yeah. Yeah, the actor's name is Kira anyway. It's not Paul. <laughs> Why am I thinking of Paul? I don't know. <laughs> There's no Paul related to 2001 I, I, at all? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. All right, well, I'll have to look into this. Um, so yeah, some we 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 we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. There's so much to talk about with this with this movie. So we're gonna talk, as we said, we're gonna talk about the, uh, the kind of the production and and all that. And I mean, Jake, as we know, is almost an encyclopedia. <laughs> a lot of Star Trek. So yeah, sometimes. So there's gonna be the there will be a tangent. I'm sh- I'm sure. Um. So, in terms of basic facts, other than, like, you know, Robert Wise being the director, everybody knows uh, the cast. <laughs> yeah, and, and we know sort of uh, some important people who are involved, like the great bird of the galaxy. The great bird of the galaxy Gene himself. Roddenberry, yeah. Uh, so, I think he, so yeah, he was Gene credited is... as a producer here, uh, looks like. Uh yeah, and I think he he it was also the well yeah, he, he obviously by, yeah he obviously contributed to the story as well, but I don't think it was like specifically credited to him. No, no, I don't think he got a screenwriting uh, credit or yeah. anything. But yeah, he he is the uh, the kind of the main character. Oh, of the story Normally. that we're gonna tell, yeah, yeah. I think I think we basically we have a story about like ten years in the desert. For Gene Roddenberry, basically. <laughs> exactly. Because, <laughs> like, Star Trek years. was canceled in 1969, right? So it was uh, literally 1969. Star Trek canceled in 1979. This movie comes out. So exactly. Yeah. Like, basically 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, so should we get right into yeah, let's the get production? Right into should we start? Yeah, let's... So I think, like, most people know about the TV series. And if you don't... Yeah, do you want to just give us the briefest rundown that you possibly of, of can? Of Star Trek, about... the television series? Just its existence. Just yeah, like, okay, hey, so hey, obviously hey. it's this massively influential show about, you know, guys just exploring the galaxy in this cool spaceship, and everybody loves it, although not the TV networks, because apparently no, it doesn't do well initially. Like Popular enough, I think, but it was... Uh, it was something about the Nielsen rating. You know the Nielsen yeah, ratings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Nielsen ratings. I was reading about that. And uh, um, it's something about how they count, like, demographics versus actual head counts. Right. It seemed that they were severely underestimating the actual number of Star Trek viewers. Yeah, and, and I figure they should have, like, figured this out based on, like, the massive letter writing campaigns that happened. Yeah, well, because... Which which succeeded in preventing the show from being canceled after two seasons because it was going to be canceled. Um, yeah, but... I, well, I, after both the first and second season, yeah. I think it was going to be canceled. Yeah. But because it ran from sixty six to sixty nine, right? so it was. Uh... So yeah, there yeah. was, uh, and the third season, the third season uh, specifically, like they moved it to a different time slot and they slashed the budget, and so like. They didn't really, like. I don't think the networks really care about Star Trek at that point. But anyway, eventually, yeah, were, eventually, it was canceled in 1969, and basically from that yeah. moment onward, Gene Roddenberry did not stop trying to get it like in 
back in some form or another. Well, because he knew. He knew. Well, he that knew was... that there were a ton of Star Trek fans. And, like, at this point, like, when it started going into syndication, syndication is when it really hit its stride, I think. Yeah. Like, well, I think because the month Star Trek came out, like, the last episode came out, yeah. was the moon landing like that's exactly yeah, yeah it's yeah. like so inconvenient <laughs> yeah so like like the space buzz just got in especially in, well in the states particularly yeah. obviously like sputnik uh had really started that whole thing but mm-hmm. uh and i think that's kind of what got you know star trek initially going mm-hmm. but the neil on the moon was uh really uh wet the appetite i think Star Trek. Yeah, so I like I think yeah, it did it did super well in the early early 70s and uh Gene knew that basically, you know, it had to come back. Uh he like specifically said, in the last 10 years the future has suddenly come upon us. Uh people are beginning to realize that the future is happening now, whereas 10 or 15 years ago the future was something a quarter or a half century ahead. The rate of human development is moving so fast. The future has finally caught up with us. You can't risk not thinking about the future because of many things you take for granted today, they might not be even here tomorrow. So that kind of hits on like what you were saying with the... Uh... Yeah, exactly. Like, I think he, he knew that exactly. And I think... That like, it was that. really relevant and it had to really... like He needed to come back. And so we started getting like Star Trek conventions in the early 70s as well, you know? Uh, yeah, well, because there was, like, you know, there was, like, comic book conventions. Well, there were ape cons there were, well. like, sci-fi. Yeah, ape cons. Ape we cons, talked about you know? That. And, and apparently there were a lot of hybrid Star Trek ape cons. Exactly. And that, but leading before Star Trek, uh, the first Star Trek convention in 1972, there were many, like, hybrid conventions. Yeah, know? exactly. It wasn't the first... One, but it's super interesting. Apparently, that like it was a super grassroots effort, to, obviously, uh, at the time to organize it by a guy named Al Schuster and a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of expected like, like a couple hundred or like three hundred people to turn up or something. But in the end, like two thousand people bought a ticket. Yeah. So like it, it's and, you know, it's really exploding in popularity when the show's on in syndication. Like uh, yeah. Uh, I should probably yeah. explain what syndication means if people don't know, because like I yeah. like I now that I think about it, like TV shows aren't really they don't really work like that anymore. Yeah, TV's not the same as as that. So uh, I guess, so back in the day, if you're fan uh, of back in the day when Star Trek was made, uh, you know they used to do like twenty two episodes, and they used to produce like a bunch of TV, and they figure like okay, you know after we do the initial run of this on this one station. Uh, I think it was NBC. Yeah. Is it NBC that yeah. that did the original run? Uh, well, yeah, we're just going to sell it to all the other networks, and they're just going to do reruns, right? Yeah. And this is how, like, you know, it, when I was They get younger, it for cheap, and they can do it. Yeah, this is what, yeah. like, when I was younger, this is how I watched, like, you know, Stargate or whatever. It was on in syndication, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, apparently, just before that, though, apparently, uh, uh, uh Paramount, because there was still, you know, there, there was definitely there interest, like in in getting it done, like doing yeah, another series think, or bringing it back in some way. Because yeah, we don't want to paint the picture entirely. Because I think Gene Roddenberry was definitely being very particular about how he wanted 
fair enough. It's his baby. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want to just bring it back any old way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's definitely, he has a lot of opportunities to bring it back like halfway or in some way that he's not particularly like into. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 he turns it down because apparently in, in 1972, uh, Paramount's uh, TV television studios suggested a Spock spinoff show. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because Spock was obviously be... one of the most popular characters, I think. Like, Yeah, of all time. Yeah. But yeah, at the time, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why, again, yeah, Spock spinoff show, which Gene was not down for because I think the, the network wanted it to be like on Vulcan and have yeah. like be removed from humanity. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think he was like I, the only reason Spock's interesting is yeah, is, is because of this environment. And I I think he's right on that. Like I I don't think you can have really Star Trek without that. You know. Yeah, like a, like it's all about the intermingling. Yeah, like, and the the, the exploratory just... you know aspect of it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, except for so, yeah. except for Deep Space Nine, but. We'll ignore that for now. Well, we'll talk about that later. That's a different <laughs> yeah. conversation, uh, um, which we might have next week. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Gene says no to this to this Spock spinoff. But, but uh, yeah, they also they later suggested after right of that they're like, okay, we're gonna do uh, an animated show. Um, and Gene is like, no, I'm not gonna do it unless I have full creative control. Um, so initially Paramount is like, no, but then. Gene kind of gets in uh, in bed with a studio called Filmation. Yeah, Filmation. I've never heard of. You've never heard of Filmation? Other than in this context. Oh. What else have they done that I would have heard of? Uh, I don't know, a little show called He-Man. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, don't, I, I never really watched a lot of He-Man, yeah. to be fair. Okay, but huge show in the 80s. And, uh, obviously. Filmation's bread and butter. Uh, but yeah, Masters of the Universe. So, uh, Star Trek: The Animated Series. So this was an interesting project because they did bring back like a huge chunk of the uh, the cast. Like, well, yeah, the original cast. Apparently, for the first episode, they were. It was the first time they were all in the same room since they had wrapped. Um, but they got everybody together for the first episode. But then subsequently, they and it, you know. You don't all have to be together for yeah. To um, audio although there for the show, but. there were some notable absences. Yeah. Uh, specifically, uh, Chekhov did not come back. He did not. No. You know, although why? he wanted to, they just didn't oh, have really? enough money to pay him. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> like they were like, um, like Walter Koenig, uh, basically didn't come back because the studio was just like, ah. You know, we don't need to have everybody. Only the important people. We don't have to. No waste one's gonna. Money, no one's gonna notice Chekhov's gone. Uh, which is funny because he actually ended up writing an episode. Oh, that's funny. They were like, they probably were like, okay, we gotta get you involved somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the animated show is cool in in the sense that it allowed them to do stuff that they couldn't do on the on the live action show. Yeah, you know, like just... basically, like I think budget really like kind of dictated what they were able to do in the uh in the actual uh ser- in the sorry in the live action series the original series yeah um just because like you know if you want to build a giant alien spaceship you actually have to build a giant alien spaceship yeah or you have to come up with some spe- other special effects so if i recall correctly like the very first episode of uh the animated series they go to this like 
giant alien space station. Really, I don't remember that, yeah. but um, but but the, exactly like they do these like all this stuff that you know. But it's uh, also it's a little bit shorter and it's a little bit yeah, more geared minutes. towards a younger audience. Well, I think the studio wanted them to make it a kid show, but I don't think Gene actually did. No, Gene definitely like, didn't want to. But uh, then again, like there's definitely episodes where you can see that, like you know, the studio won. They, well, no, it's just like okay, you know, we're gonna dump down the plot a little bit so that you know kids can follow this, or we're gonna add some like you know cutesy like animal alien thing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, like uh, kids like, will like it or whatever, right? Anthropomorphic uh, animals. And yeah, stuff. specifically, I was thinking um, of the one with Spock's dog. <laughs> which Spock is not is actually a dog. a dog; it's a Vulcan creature. It's an alien of some kind. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like I was reading that, like the, because uh, it was, it was obviously because it's a cartoon. It was like the Saturday morning time slot, exactly. Um, and one of the uh, critics, who, who like, uh, who liked Star Trek, was like, "Yeah, this is a great reimagining of the, you know, of Gene Roddenberry's original series. It's just a shame that it's gonna languish in the Saturday morning because it's not a children's show. It should be on prime time, but the studio doesn't have the guts to put it there. Yeah, is exactly. what he said basically. Um, well, really, they should have just brought back the show. Yeah, it's just like they kind of like the studio. It's it's this weird thing where the studio keeps trying to half-ass it, you know, yeah. and it just it's just not good enough the whole time. Exactly. Um, and and like it's it's good enough to an extent because I'm not like bashing the animated series, but like you know, yeah, it's it, well, I mean, it, it there are some like certain things in the animated series that you're like, okay, there like could have they, been some more effort here. Yeah, and you could tell there's no budget first of all, but with the animation, and you can tell yeah. that like, like, well, specifically it, like I I I point out the the compromise that they made with spacesuits. So spacesuits. Nobody ever wears a spacesuit in that series. They have this like personal like atmosphere generator shield. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. The blobby thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Oh, well, this is just easier because we don't have to draw a different character in a spacesuit. We just can use the old drawing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind so of that's... thing. And filmation. Like, I don't know if you ever seen He Man, but similar sort of shit. Yeah, like. <laughs> Like I think our last episode, we were even talking about like the cheap and cheap animation. You know, yeah, exactly. Same idea, same, same idea. idea. It's like this extremely budget animation, extremely budget, you know, uh, yeah. stories. It's but, it was, yeah, it was yeah. it. The, the but the 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 love was there, and the but from Gene, and the uh, you know, the ambition was there. Yeah. Uh. So but, like within the Star Trek community, this. The anime series kind of has an ambiguous status, yeah. <laughs> like in terms of like uh, canonicity, like a, a, not a lot of people are sure if like you know they're supposed to count it. They're supposed to count in what happens in the anime series as like you know quote unquote canon. Uh, but yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird because there's some interesting ideas in it, but um, I think it doesn't get enough love, and I think more people should check it out. Yeah, I think it's it's too easy to write off as stupid and silly. Yeah, and it is stupid and silly in a lot of cases, but not worth writing off for that. 
Yeah, and it's still like you know, yeah. it's still Gene Roddenberry doing it. You know, exactly. Um, it yeah. So what was I going to say? So we should probably move on because yeah, yeah, yeah we we'll bog down we here. Talk about the, uh, animated yeah. series, but um, so, so, so Gene, Gene, he's still working for NBC. You know, yeah, he's he's doing. He had a couple pilots, uh, and things, and they didn't necessarily. Well, none of them really worked out. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think any of them were. He made like three three pilots, and none of them were really. I think, yeah, turned into much. But um, in apparently in 1973, he was approached by a Paramount producer who wanted to make a film with him, but was like, "We, I just basically we want the Star Trek rights. We're gonna make the film we want, and we'll send you, we'll send you a check to not show up." Yeah, exactly. But you know, this is not this is not what Gene wants. And like, yeah, Gene says this is, no. This is kind of a a theme, like, you know, like I think that you know, there are a lot of people like with through like the history of Star Trek. Like, there's a lot of people that kind of like try to take it from Gene, but Gene just won't let them. And like, it seems he def- to me like he he has he, a reputation for being difficult to work with among studio. I people. mean. I don't know if that's necessarily the. I mean, well, he probably was, but like, I think he has I mean, reasons. Studio people. Yeah, I think he has reasons for his perspective, but like, yeah. um, I mean, certainly, like, I think he felt like he was kind of being jerked around by the studios. And, I mean, like, he was. Yeah, and like, if you ever see the documentary "Chaos on the Bridge," uh, uh-huh. which is about the first couple se- seasons of um, Star Trek: The Next Generation, yeah, like. He he is like asserting like his um because th- at that point the studios are basically like okay now now we really want it you know so he's being like as like difficult as possible <laughs> like, yeah exactly he's with like... them just to like and I mean to be honest I think it is to the detriment of TNG that that he was like that where he was being like okay you guys jerked me around for years now it's my turn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be good for the final product, these backstage shenanigans. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily blame him for his uh, uh, perspective towards the studio, because he was kind of jerked around. Yeah. And then they, like, destined it. And then they, like, as soon as, like, they realized there was demand for his product, they tried to take it from him and force him out of it. Like, they're a bunch of blood-sucking vultures. Like, there's fucking, they're leeches. Yeah. But, But, I mean, you know. To be perfectly honest, not all of Gene Roddenberry's ideas were good ones. No, it's he's, it's like George Lucas, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can't trust one person to to you know, except for yeah. to- Tolkien to 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 you know. Yeah, um, to be responsible for such a vast universe. <laughs> so anyway, eventually, uh, Gene has an idea for a screenplay. Yeah, and that ends up being something known as Star Trek The God Thing. Which, yeah. This is probably, so this is, like, I think the first of basically three aborted, like, serious attempts to get Star Trek back. Yeah. Basically, uh, Paramount actually ends up, you know, they pay him to make this script. Um yeah, and it uh, takes they they they're like talking about it for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it was a long conversation with him and Paramount. Yeah, and so they they come up with the idea that, you know, okay. Uh 
they'd go through like a bunch of different drafts. Uh, there's another guy uh, helping on the, on the script uh, named John Poville, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's this. I get all the, the first two kind of confused, but yeah, no, he no, worked he is, on one but, of them. Um, yeah, and so the basic idea of this film is there is this alien entity, which is a very common Star Trek trope. Uh-huh, there's an alien entity. There's an alien entity which decides that, you know, it is in fact God. Classic. And it it goes to Earth to uh, you know figure out uh, assert its godliness. Yeah, assert its godliness. And um, basically, there is uh, interaction with them and the Enterprise, and you know there are various you know uh, philosophical ideas that are explored. <laughs> yeah, we, well, you can imagine what the kinds that are explored. Yeah, you know, um, religion and all that I am sure is taken apart. Yeah, and it I I've never actually read this screenplay. Uh, it never made it into being anything, but uh, I I don't know. Maybe it was good. Maybe it wasn't. Talk to you, talk to I don't know. But apparently, it wasn't good enough for the studio. Uh, yeah, because they eventually they, it. they delayed it. Uh, they were just saying, okay, this is nineteen seventy five that they started. They were okay. okay we're gonna. We're gonna make it in 1977, and eventually, it nothing really happens. And then they move on to the next idea. The next idea, yeah. Which is in 1977, and Star this Trek. we have discussed. We have discussed Star Trek: Planet of the Titans, yes. which is it had a bunch of different ideas, but um, it was sort of uh, helmed by this guy named Philip Kaufman. Uh, yeah, who's done a couple things. Uh, yeah, he's done a, a number of things. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? Uh. But actually, I don't think he did that much before this movie. Seems like most of the shit he um, did was afterwards. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, he had done the uh, the remake of the uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. No, not yet. This is 1977. Oh right. I've, right. Even, although that movie has um. Uh, with Leonard Nimoy in it. Oh yeah, good point. Well, and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That's not Star Trek related. Yeah, not, but it is podcast related. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, so um, this is it's supposed to have Toshiro Mufune in it, and yeah, it's the one Klingon. He's a Klingon, Spock? and they go back in time, and you open your third eye, and then they yeah, Spock does acid with man. Toshiro Mufune. Yeah, and I think that it was just. It was just kind of going in a weird direction. Nobody could really agree on what was going on. Like, I don't think that Gene was fully on board with Kaufman's ideas. And um, it was it was really weird because it was like this was like supposed because this is this is this one right. This is um, it was like because this is the one that yeah started in 1976 and then like. Um, in because we, we've discussed this before as well, how the the actual spaceship, the Constitution. Um, oh, of the oh yeah yeah so, so this actually yeah this is also happening around the same time about the, the actual, Enterprise. Yes. So, uh, many of you, 
might know of, well, actually, I don't know. It's probably one of the less well-known space shuttles because it never actually flew in space. But, yeah, one. yeah, and well, I mean, we've talked about it on this show before. Yeah, we have talked about it on the show before. But anyway, so, uh, NASA was building their first space shuttle, and uh, because of, they were going to call it Constitution, but um, because of a massive letter-writing campaign to President Gerald Ford, uh, <laughs> it was decided that it would be renamed Enterprise because the fans really wanted them to call the Starship. The yeah, Starship and this... This was a um, huge boost for Star Trek. It was like, a huge boost for um, Star Trek, and they reunited some of the cast to go to like the first uh, flight of the Enterprise. And the Enterprise did did fly; it just didn't fly in space. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so this which, is kind of like, I think this is like gave lit a fire under Paramount because they realized that there was like they realized actually, that even like almost not quite ten years later. Well, ten years since almost. the first series, since the series went on air, that people Began, are still, yeah. like, really into it. They're like, it. shit, people are, like, rabid yeah. for this stuff. Like... Yeah, and I'm actually very annoyed that NASA never flew the Enterprise in space. I mean, I get, I get why they didn't do it, because there are some very good engineering reasons as to why they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but probably you know, why did they call but... that one the Enterprise instead of waiting for the next one? Yeah, well, you know, they really should have, but the letter writing campaign, you know? Yeah, you know. Um, so eventually, like, because as we said, Gene is like, you know, he's he doesn't have a lot of money. He's doing, like, college lectures to make ends meet. You know, he's yeah. working weeks at a time doing, like, you know, uh, uh, tours and stuff. So finally, you know, he's he and a couple of screenwriters are working on the story. Um, and it's finally approved in October of 1976, but Gene was in London at the time, so the screenwriter sent him a telegram, and apparently it was just like, you gotta come back, We've, it's finally, it's happening. <laughs> so he hopped on a plane and immediately flew back to LA, and yeah, they were like, like, fans apparently were so happy about this, like, potential thing that, like, the studio executives started getting letters to, like, they're invited to speak at conventions, like, and they had no idea what to do about any of this. Like, they were so... <laughs> yeah, no, like, like people confused. really just wanted to see some shit, some Star Trek shit again. Like, everybody yeah, was they like... they were rabid. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, why the fuck, like, we just want more. Yeah, so, like, 1977, they finished the script. Uh, in March of 1977, so you know, take a few months. Like the throat, the, there's still this kind of theme of Spock's humanness, but eventually, as you say, it's canceled, and like, you know, yeah. doesn't work out. Like I, the cancellation I, actually happened like a couple of weeks before Star Wars came out, because in the words of the studio, they didn't they didn't want to have two science fiction movies come out in the same year, because you know, people wouldn't go see both. Which yeah, is you're so not gonna stupid. go see Star Wars. You know, so yeah. Stupid. In retrospect, imagine saying people aren't gonna go see Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah, and like I think after Star Wars came out, they completely changed their mind on that. But yeah, but yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? They they decided that well, we should return to the roots of the Star Trek franchise on television, and make a new series, and it shall be called. Star Trek Phase 2. Heck yeah. So, you know, this is a good idea, I think. This is you a know? good idea, and, you know, like, I think that this could have been a good series. Ultimately, yeah, like, ultimately this, this is what... series is what turned into the Star Trek film series. Yeah. But like, but this this is what it should have, like, not should have been, but this, no, this is, is what... what it could have been. 
this is what he was trying to do like the whole yeah. time like 70 yeah. like you know this was the plan but so anyway they they get really far on this series like they come up with all these new ideas uh so Leonard Nimoy though at uh isn't going to be in the series so they come up with some new characters to kind of fill in for his yeah. absence uh so they introduce the character of Decker and they introduce yeah. Ilea who are very important in this film in the film yeah in the film yeah. um so they actually get to the point where they've written like a ton of scripts uh yeah like this this show is is being made like it's yeah they've, they've got built everything. sets they've built a ton of sets like they've yeah, they've built sets they've, they've hired they have a makeup artist that's completely like covered in uh covered and this these the sound stages like like literally that studio ends up eventually being also the the stage for TNG and later for Voyager as well which I think <laughs> is interesting. Um, it is interesting. Uh but uh eventually they studio is seeing the success of, you know, Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind I think was another one that they were inspired by. Yeah, and they exactly. were like, well, you know, let's turn it into a movie. Like the studio really needs to get their fucking shit together here. Like this yeah. is ridiculous. And I mean, no, point. I mean, th this wasn't a terrible idea because you know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just it was a stupid idea to like waste all this time. Like they should have just finished the first movie. Like yeah, you know? well, I think in retrospect, I don't think the time spent working on Phase Two was wasted. Was wasted, right? Because almost all of it ended up being kind of recycled throughout the Star Trek series. Yeah, well, because essentially they, they pulled the plug, what, literally eight days before they were supposed to start the show. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was air date or if that was, like... That was probably uh, from, like, you know... Shooting date. That was shooting date, because they wouldn't yeah. have... They wouldn't shot have shot the episodes. Eight, eight days. Yeah. Believe yeah. me, if these episodes were shot, I would I would have a copy. Oh, yeah, they would exist. <laughs> Someone knew that. Exactly. Somewhere they would... No, they never got that far. But they got really, yeah. really far. Like, they had a cast... And a lot of the cast yeah, they were ready to go. being in, in, in the movie, obviously. and uh, But yeah, this, a lot of this stuff was recycled as well. Like, these stages became the stages for the film, um, which eventually became the stages for TNG, which eventually became the stages for uh, uh, Voyager. And yeah, they, like also they basically just upgraded used, everything. Yeah, they used a lot of the scripts later for TNG. Like, for example, the TNG episode, The Child, was originally a script that was written for... Uh, uh, TL, phase for, two. For phase two, and actually, so there's more on this in uh, that documentary I mentioned called "Chaos on the Bridge," where there was a writer strike in the early uh, part of making TNG, and so they had to make episodes without writers. Oh no! So that's used... why they're so bad. <laughs> well, for a bit. So they used some of those scripts from Phase right. Two. Uh, right. They just. Yeah, yeah, well, you have to dip into the, the yeah, reserve. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, the reserve just some track. of the ideas have been recycled into other later episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much Trek at this point that it doesn't really surprise me that they're just, like, kind of pulling into the... Exactly. You know, reserve, um, especially if it's Gene Roddenberry, you know, uh, yeah. material. So, but eventually, they, they basically, they start making this film. That we're yeah, talking it's about like today. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's such a long winding it's, goddamn it road. Like 
this this movie was essentially, you know, uh, basically in production for ten years because like yeah, and Gene like was I don't think we can like. It... Sorry, I would finish your thought. Gene was basically working on it from the moment that uh, the series ended. Yeah, like I think he was planning. Like I think he was planning it from third season like while they were making the third season because like you know i think the third season was a little bit of a write-off in some ways yeah um, i mean yeah you can kind of tell things were going downhill in the third season and i think i think well i think he knew that they were done you know, like i think he knew that they were just like the studio well, that, yeah the gone. studio just wasn't wasn't supporting them it wasn't gonna yeah be it. it wasn't yeah yeah um and like I think it's like they didn't really have to do any additional work to make the movie other than, you know, they turned kind of the overarching script of the show. I think they turned it into the, you know, a movie script and then they well, just kind yeah, of upgraded. So th- there were a bunch of kind of things that fed into um, this uh, the story for the film. Some of them came from Star Trek Phase Two, um, but I don't actually. Are, are we going to talk about this later? The basically the TOS episode. This is almost exactly like. Yeah, that's next episode. Okay, so we'll cut out what I just said there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they drew on uh, some earlier sources to basically come up with the plot for this movie. But um, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, uh, but they did have quite a time writing the script because I mean, if you think about it, like. They kind of had a head start from phase two on basically yeah, putting the thing together start. with all the sets and everything. And so it kind of came to the point where they didn't finish the last third, basically, of the script until when mean? they were already shooting it. Right. So right. that was really interesting. That's um, weird. I mean, it's well, not weird in the sense that I'm sure that happens all the time. It's just like in the sense they had 10 years to. To do it. Yeah, but I think it was like it's kind of a thing um where you know you're trying to come up with the perfect ending, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. This thing has been going for so long, it has to be yeah, perfect. It has to be perfect. And you have to see what it's going to look like before you can truly, you know. Uh Well, I I, I think it was also ending. just that, you know, they had you know, some problems with uh like it just delays during production. Yeah, and, um, yeah, like, I, I think initially, like, some people were not happy with the way the script turned out, like, some of the actors as well. Really? Like yeah. The, the, like, the final script? Yeah, well, no, the the versions that, like, eventually... Prior to... Prior to right. the final script. Um, I mean, and I think that there are people who watch this movie now who are not satisfied with the script, but... Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I, there's definitely some issues. Like, it's definitely yeah. some. I think this movie's strength is definitely not its script. <laughs> it's the but story. There were also some interesting collaborators. I think uh, Isaac Asimov being one of them. Yeah, yeah. So he 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 was. I I can't remember what they actually listed his uh his role as. Uh, but you can see him. Special science consultant. Yeah, there you go. Ridiculous. Uh, which is interesting. But yeah, so he, was, he also He was a big Star Trek fan. Him. Yeah, definitely. 
But Robert Wise was actually initially contacted for Planet of the Titans. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's probably why he was on the list. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so he was on the list, but they'd also talked to Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. Francis Ford Coppola? I don't know who that is. Sorry? I don't know who Francis Ford Coppola is. Who is that? That's a joke, right? Yeah. Who yeah. Who is that, though? Oh, uh, you know, he, he's uh, Nicholas's Cage, Nicholas Cage's uncle or something like that. Oh, right. That's who you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a yeah. funny joke. That's a good joke. <laughs> um, it would be if we hadn't made it like 40 times. That's a good top-notch quality humor. <laughs> so yeah, that's they, they've started making the motion picture. We'll talk a lot more about the actual production, like some of the details next week, as, as right. we always do. But do we have some, uh, some other details? Like how they shot it, for example? So how did they shoot it, is the question. So the director of photography for this movie was Richard H. Klein, who, you know, has had a, a fairly, you know, storied career. Have um, we talked about him before? I don't know if we have, but he he'd previously worked on the Andromeda Strain with uh, Robert, Robert Wise. Yeah. Uh, he's worked on Swelling Green. Which, fun fact, is set in 2022. Oh, really? Uh-oh. That's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and he worked on uh, the 1976 King Kong movie as well. Uh, and this right. film. That most um, forgettable King Kong film. Yeah. Uh, and I think he, you know, he did a fairly good job on, on this film. I think that there were some, some things he a... that he did that actually annoyed me. Really? Yeah, what, like and what? we'll talk about those in in when we get to it. But um, okay, yeah, uh, and we also had uh, focus puller slash first assistant camera Michael Ganna, or Gen, Michael Ganna, uh, who also worked on Blade Runner. Interesting. Oh, sick! As a first uh, AC. Well, in the camera electrical department, I don't know. In the department, was, right? Uh, I assume he was the first AC, but could be wrong. Yeah, first assistant camera for Blade Runner. Um, so Richard H. Klein, like, I actually think that he's not the most important person to talk about here, although we will talk about some things that he did. Uh, right. Well, but... I, I was just going to say, there's just not really a lot for him to do. It's either all inside or special effects of space. <laughs> and there were a lot of special effects of space, and... Is ninety percent special effects of space. Yeah, so, uh, basically, I think one of the most people... To important people to talk about here is a guy named Douglas Trumbull. An absolute legend named Douglas Trumbull, actually. Let's be real. Okay. An absolute legend. A true... We haven't had a legend in a while, but a true legend named Douglas Trumbull. Who is he? Uh, let me let me just go through Douglas Trumbull's filmography here. But I, I believe his... Uh, um, what was he actually credited here as? Douglas Trumbull. Special photographic effects. Is right. That all he was credited? Oh, and and second unit director technically, which kind of makes sense, because um, he was basically directing this the effects team. So right, right, right. Um, I would say that you know 
Douglas Trumbull is most well known for his work on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ah, there you go. That's which why. Which is interesting <laughs> because you mentioned that he that this film looked specifically in those sequences. In like the FX, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also did visual effects on Blade Runner uh, later Sick. after this. Yeah. And he also uh, was a filmmaker in his own right, and he directed a couple... Uh, a couple films, um, I believe. He did the Andromeda Strain as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, he also worked on that. Yeah, so he directed uh, a film called Brainstorm uh, with uh, Christopher Walken, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Brainstorm with Christopher Walken? No, I've not seen that. Yeah. Um, also, Silent Running, which is a very interesting early 70s sci-fi movie. I've not seen that either. Um, check it out. You should check out... He can tr- uh, Contributed effects to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes, he did. He, he, he basically he's a, he's a Hollywood FX legend, right? Yeah. It seems so he so. was the guy that that did all that, like you know the sequence in two thousand one, like the Stargate sequence with all of the yeah. uh, the lights w- w- through a process called slit scan photography. Uh, which yeah. I will not explain right now because this is not we, a 2001 episode. No, I think we briefly discussed it in one of our Barry Lyndon episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Very briefly. But, but anyway, yeah. um, and he also did like the Jupiter model and all the little models. But one of his uh, contributions to this uh, film was the Enterprise itself. Yeah. So, he initially, did the Enterprise. Well, yeah, he well he did the whole sequence, uh, where that, you know or they opening come in. sequence. Yeah, well, that, it's not the, opening the longest sequence. sequence. This is this sequence gets a lot of hate, actually. No, it shouldn't though. It shouldn't. I like because they. It's great. This whole sequence is this. Like I said, the first thirty minutes is yeah. for the the viewers. Yeah. They play. They play, or not the viewers, the, the hardcore Trekkies, because they play the theme. At halftime, yeah, and exactly. for the whole thing is just a s- silence of them it's, rolling up on the Enterprise. It's a glory yeah. shot of the Enterprise. Yeah, it's a amazing. sick scene. It's and, like and like and when they do the big reveal, when you see the front of it, when it says NCC one seven zero one, and you're like, oh, it's the fucking Enterprise, bro. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, such. Yeah. A, it's an excellent scene. Like again, um, four trackies specifically is I know, it's, made for. Exactly. Like, but uh, this, but Sorry? like it's just it's the culmination of ten years, like of of you know, people wanting to see the Enterprise again. You know, that's why it's they really want to draw it out. It's 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 good. I don't think it's bad at all. I don't think it it's, should get any hate. So I I think uh, Trumbull was actually brought on like a little bit later in the production process because. <laughs> I think that they they'd done a lot of sort of work, and they had seven months uh, before when the movie was supposed to come out, and they hadn't done a lot of the effects. Yeah, and I'm and, sure they were like, holy shit, this is going to be really hard. <laughs> so uh, basically, Robert Wise uh, basically came to Douglas Trumbull and said... Uh, Doug, just do whatever you can and save my ass. <laughs> uh, well, he they did whatever he could. And specifically, like, this big scene where they reveal the Enterprise is supposed to be, like, a pivotal 
thing in the movie. And um, first, they basically they have this model, this fiberglass model of the Enterprise. And um, yeah. one interesting thing I think is that the first thing that um, that Trumbull says is, "How are we going to light it?" Because right. You know, actually, even if you watch like something like Star Wars or something, you'll see all the models. They're they're pretty brightly lit, like from yeah. some light source. But Trumbull was like, "Well, it's in space. It's in deep space. What's lighting it? Where's the light coming from?" Basically, he had the idea that, well, why don't we light up the Enterprise itself so it's illuminating itself? Interesting. So if you actually look at the model, uh, it's got all these little lights on it that are kind of shining, and it's kind of lit from below, actually, which gives it a really cool look, I think. Interesting. So it's when actually it's, lit when, the, on the Enterprise itself? Yeah, for the most part. And then there's also that frame that it's in, which has some lighting in it. But it's, it's all yeah. sort of, like, it's mostly all practical lights. There are some, like, actually, I have a photo of them literally filming this scene we can probably post this later but oh yeah uh look at that oh wow that's awesome like they have some other lights that are kind of like bouncing off other things but there's no like big film light that's pointed at the enterprise no no um that looks great yeah and i think it just looks so epic uh and i think it was also like it was also really cool that they built like this new enterprise. This is like, or they refurbished the original enterprise in yeah uh, in the ser- in yeah. the movie, right? But that yeah. you know they still they still made it look like the enterprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Absolutely. it's like like I think they because if you actually look at this side by side with the model from the show, like this just looks like the model from the show, but way better. Yeah, this just looks like a sicker version. And it's like <laughs> Which is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and it's like it's also really is really effective like fan service in the sense that it's like, you know Nobody's complaining that they fucked up the Enterprise, you know what I mean? That they yeah, yeah exactly. That's and that's like such they an did easy a good job updating about. it and retaining that classic, classic look. Yeah, like that's such an easy thing to fuck up and such an easy thing to complain about for fans. exactly because that's the first thing you're gonna get from the nerds being like, "Why does the Enterprise well, the look inter- like that?" Yeah, it's gotta look better. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, we won't talk about this because <laughs> this has literally happened in the Star Trek series. Yeah, like I mean, I know with J.J. Abrams like films, like a lot of people complain about that Enterprise. Yeah, well, that's a whole different story, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But also, um, in you can also see in that picture that I sent you, you can see the camera that they're using. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say you can you can see the the film. Yeah, you you can see the film. This was done on film. But one of the Obviously. things that is interesting about this camera is look at if you look at what lens is on there. Look at how fucking long that thing is. Yeah, it's really long and thin. Yeah. So uh, Douglas Trumbull actually had some very specific. Uh, lenses made for this uh, this camera so that because cause like, obviously the model is a lot smaller than the real thing right? So did he he collaborated with NASA as well occasionally it seems in his career 
Uh, at times, maybe not necessarily for this movie, but it looks no, like he I has. No, I mean, he specifically said that uh, that this design was almost uh, NASA spec. Right. But I, I don't think NASA actually helped him build his lens. Right, 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 right. But he had collaborated with Stanley. Who had Stanley collaborated, collaborated with? Well, didn't actually collaborate with NASA. Well, yeah, he, he had bought the lenses. the lenses from Zeiss, which were built for NASA. Listen to the Barry Lyndon episode. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so basically, the idea was that if you're if you have this model that's small, how do you make it look big? Yeah. So really, um, you end up using this really, really long fucking lens uh, that makes, kind of fixes that. How does, yeah, how does that make it look big? Like, it works. It, it definitely makes the perspective feel different somehow, but... Well, it really makes know. it feel like you're not as close to it. You know what I mean? Right. It makes it feel right. like you're further away. Right, because you're looking through a longer, yeah, right. I mean, I don't actually. To be honest, the he didn't do a very. Dark Trumbull hasn't done a very good job of explaining how it actually works, but he calls it a periscope lens. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure what that means in this context, but no, I don't. I don't actually understand how it works, but. Basically, he said he needed this very special lens to make it look like it was further away. Well, he did a good job because I think the special effects in this movie are are, oh, the special are, effects are awesome and, and are you can really, excellent. Yeah, you can really see uh, like a lot of the shots, like all the camera work on them is so smooth. Like, I think they're using motion controlled cameras, like motorized cameras, for a lot of yeah. these model shots because. Like you see, like really fluid camera moves, and it looks so yeah, good it, when they're going around it, the thing. Uh, there absolutely. are a couple. There are a couple of things in that sequence, though, that I think don't look that great, honestly. Like what? Like uh, it, in the, the boarding view through sequence? the window of the oh, the, the the first view into the window because you can see that yeah, the, like, view the perspective the is all curved. Yeah, I. Well, they're using a perspective of a shot that doesn't match the curved thing, so it looks weird. Yeah, yeah, I saw that as well. That was the and, only thing and that, that was weird that to me. was like that really works when they're doing like the smaller windows. But you know in that I mean? giant window, it but did when not, it's yeah. so big on the screen, you can kind of see the perspective error, so it doesn't look very good. I so I appreciate what they were trying to do, but they probably you know could have avoided shouldn't doing have done that. shouldn't have done such a close up of that shot. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It must have looked cool at the time. Yeah, exactly. It's seventy nines, you know. It's really good stuff, I think. Um, especially the miniatures. Um yeah, and the, yeah, really. the, the fucking the the V'ger, the scene of them just silently floating over V'ger is so intense. I love it. Yeah, that. and the big walk up to the uh to the uh V'ger like platform. Yeah. That that was actually exactly. that was a set uh and Really. I have some pictures of that too. Uh, so obviously our listeners can't see these right now, but uh, yeah, yeah, well I'll post them. I'll post them and cut out the time of me. Uh, but no, I think they did them. all sorts of really cool things, like building the uh, the set, um, 
for like V'ger and the effects for like going through the V'ger orifice because it really looks massive. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they get the the perspective is really well done. And I love some of the shots of 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 uh Enterprise flying through the interior of Viger. Like yeah. I would honestly like I would love to get just one of those printed out real big and put that on my wall. Like a, yeah, just a tiny a great... Enterprise of and like the big giant V'ger thing. Cavernous V'ger, awesome. yeah. Yeah, it looks Super huge. cool. And it's like, this is what TOS would be if it had this budget. Yeah, like that's what they wanted. That's the scale that they were going for. That's the but, epicness that exactly. it is. And that, that the Trekkies saw in it. That, you know, that's what... Yeah. And it's like, wants. I think it's just, this is this is such a good realization of, I think, what TOS could have been. <laughs> If it actually had a budget, you know what I mean, and yeah. I think it looks great. Um, so let's let's talk sort of more about some of the more conventional uh, bits on filming. Yeah, there was a specific type of shot I think um, on that they used a lot on the bridge of the Enterprise that I what think that? looks really weird. So do you know what a split diopter is? No, I don't. What is that? Uh, so basically, so you know how lenses have like a focal distance and you can, yeah. you can turn the focus and you can focus a different distance away, right? Uh-huh, yeah. So a split diopter is like a half lens that you use on one half of the lens and it puts a different distance in focus. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Like, so they had like part of, like when, uh, 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 uh um... Uh, yeah, like half the screen was out of focus or something. It was really weird. Well, there were yeah, so there that. was something in the back. So the the idea of that is that you're you're trying to have a really deep focus. Yeah, but it didn't. They did use it in a couple aspects in which the background was not that important. There was just some yeah. guy on a console or something in the background, <laughs> and then they had yeah. the split diopter on, and it just looked weird. And oftentimes, it looks a lot better if you have like some physical object dividing the two so you don't notice the split as much. Right. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely is, it something is an stood out to me there. creative uh, tool, um, but I think a lot of the ways they used it in this film is kind of weird. It just seems strange, especially with so many close indoor shots. To, like, I guess they, yeah, had, well, I think they, they wanted, wanted to try to and make it interesting. They wanted to try and show everything on the bridge, I think. And, yeah. like, obviously that wouldn't have been easy at the time, uh, basically because, like, because of lighting and film speed and stuff, you couldn't just uh -huh. stop down the lens. Yeah. Because that, that would have obviously been the best, the easiest thing to do to get a deep, deep focus, you know? Yeah. To get everything in focus is just, well, just stop down the lens. But uh, obviously because of lighting and film speed concerns, uh, that probably wasn't possible. But... Yeah. Interesting. Uh interesting innovative idea, but I don't think it really looks all that Yeah, good yeah. In the end of the day. They were trying to be creative with Yeah, kind and of I think there are some ability. films that, you know, uh have used it uh, that I think are a bit more uh uh like specifically there's this one famous shot in uh, All the President's Men, I think. 
that the that the movie with Robert Redford about Nixon? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just one shot in that movie uh, that's done with a split diopter, and it it just looks it's invincible. Honestly, you can't tell that. Which I mean, scene is it? You, it's in the uh, at at the when they're at the uh, newspaper office and they're they have Robert Redford on one half the screen and then they're looking down through the. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But With um, everybody else on the. Yeah, but side. it's it's kind of. They did a really good job of like. Yeah, not they, well, they've it got a, they've that a they pole. were doing an effect. Yeah. They've got exactly. a pole separating it here. <laughs> oh, did you actually just look up the shot? Yeah. Yeah. So. There are movies that have used it more uh, seamlessly, I should say. Yeah. But it is an interesting effect. Absolutely. It is a super interesting effect. Uh, yeah, maybe not the best use of it here, but... Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's how they shot it. Sick. I hope you, uh, you enjoyed that. Uh, oh, yeah. What do, we, what do we have to talk about now? Well, you know, normally this ep- part of the episode, our, you know, our hardcore listeners will know that this is the time of the episode that we normally go to a segment that we like to call Six Series of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, Spoiler, everybody in this movie is in Star Trek. Yeah, there's everybody involved in this movie. A direct movie connection, is a, is a direct connection. So that segment's not really going to work this week. So we're going to do a couple of different things. Yeah. Um. So the the first of the week, do you want to introduce what we're going to do here? Do you want to just should we just go right into it? Uh, I think we should go right into it. Uh. Well. Okay. So. Well, I'm sure you well, got we're a We're going to do a us. similar a similar thing, but about my second favorite sci-fi series. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you didn't recognize that theme music, what we're doing is Six Degrees of Stargate. It has to be Six Degrees of Star something. So, yeah, you, you know. know, so I picked, you know, Six Degrees of Star Wars, you know, that might, I don't know, would that be too easy? That'd be way too easy. Actually, too it'd probably be more difficult because there's probably yeah, less actual things. Less Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so uh, I noticed, obviously, when I'm doing the six degrees of star trek that a lot of these people actually are also in stargate because it's it's a long-running sci-fi series that you know yeah you know a lot of there's you know working actors like show up in you know what i mean yeah there's they need a lot a lot of small roles for one week so you know the, a lot of people have the, been through it right exactly yeah, yeah. and uh there's kind of a, a a thing going on in uh in vancouver at the time well not when this movie was made but uh it's sort of in the 90s where like a lot of actors would be on like you know they'd be on stargate they'd be on the x-files they'd be uh in a, co- in a bunch <laughs> of different things all all like within a couple of weeks right and yeah, cause uh, they're all filmed in the same they're area. all filmed in the same city like yeah uh pretty close together probably even on the same lot i don't know but like <laughs> you know um yeah so we're gonna do six degrees of stargate 
It's basically the Fuck same yeah. rules as Star Trek. Uh, you can be in any Stargate series. You can be in the Stargate movie, etc. So, so or, there's or refresh my memory on the on the on the series. There's uh, so, SG One, okay, so uh, yeah, Atlantis. So we got, yeah, SG One, Atlantis, uh, universe. Um, and universe. Also, yeah, and then you also have the Star Trek film. Uh, you got the two SG One Stargate movies. film. Did I say Star Trek? You <laughs> did. Yeah. Sorry, I'm too used to the old segment. Yeah, come on. Come <laughs> so on. you got the Stargate movie, which we covered. Yeah, and, great, great, great movie. Uh, and then you got uh, these two SG One movies, and I think that's it. Did you say stupid SG One movies? The two SG One movies. Okay, because there were two of them. Um, so, so this is the same rules. Six degrees of Star Trek. Uh, I feel like they're due for a movie soon. I feel like Stargate? we're due for a Stargate. Yeah. Oh well, you know there are things happening. I'm a sure lot there of, are. Like, there's a lot of speculation, specifically uh, about uh, after MGM bought Amazon. Sorry, Amazon, Amazon bought MGM. <laughs> that would have been amazing uh, if, if MGM managed to buy Amazon. That would be that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but no, that didn't happen. Amazon bought MGM, and uh, there's a lot of talk recently that, like, there's a lot of speculation, and basically that they're, they're going to uh, do a new show, a new an series, Amazon show. Yeah, on on, uh, on Prime. So hopefully, I'm I'm looking forward to that. That could be cool. That could be cool. Yeah. But let's go ahead and just go through our connections right now. Yeah, let's do it. We're starting with a direct connection. As we should. And this is someone who we've talked about on this show before. Okay. And we've that is on this show. Uh, a man named Alan Howarth. Alan Howarth. Yeah, we've talked who about is, him. That's who is a very frequent, name. frequent music musical collaborator of one John Carpenter, who is also somebody who gets brought up on the show a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's who it is, right? So uh, I think we talked about him in the "They Live" episode, uh, but he also he also worked on the, this very film, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. What did he do? He did sound effects. Okay. Yeah, actually, he worked on every Star Trek. Uh, I think all of the Star Trek TOS sort of films. So, uh, oh, yeah. he he was he was credited as sound effects creator, and basically he makes the sound that they do when they go into hyperdrive. Right, right. Sorry, not right. hyperdrive, warp drive. What the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, hyperdrive. I'm mixing my sci-fi cool. series is now. You're getting all mixed up. Warp drive. Uh, he makes the warp core sound. Basically, he's fucking around with synths the whole time. Right, right. He does the, um, um yeah, the soundscapes and, or whatever. And he also worked on Stargate, the film. Oh, really? That's funny. Because yeah. this was his first film. Uh, this was, in fact, yeah. Right. And um, when, yeah, and he worked on, that's so funny. He's worked on a ton of movies that we've done, actually. He, really? So, yeah, he's worked on... Well, he's worked on this movie. He's worked on uh, They Live, and he's they worked live. on Stargate, which we've done all of those. Yeah, and also uh, plenty of movies I'm seeing out here that I'd like to do as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he's uh, also, uh, he just, you know, he basically wrote a lot of stuff and helped John Carpenter like with a lot of the scores that he did. Right, yeah. Because, yeah, because he's, uh, he's all over the place. For but yeah, uh, like, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's a cool connection, I thought. And uh, why don't we that's go ahead and move cool. on to our second direct connection? Two direct connections, my god. And you've already heard this man's work in I've... this podcast. I've heard his work in this podcast. This episode, compo- this very episode, his music has already been played. Oh, it's uh, Jerry Goldsmith or whatever. You're close. You're so close. What's his name? Uh, John it's Goldsmith. It's Joel Goldsmith. <laughs> Joel Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith did the theme music for this film, for Star Trek The Motion Picture. However, right. Joel Goldsmith also was on the sound department for this film. <laughs> Are they uh, related? They are related. He is, I believe, the son of Jerry Goldsmith. Hilarious. So that sound effects creator, he also worked on sound effects. Right. But basically, I assume that basically his dad probably brought him in. That's amazing. Because <laughs> uh, so, so, he composed the theme music for Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. That's hilarious. That's so which, funny. Which so we have on, discussed him. Yeah. It was uh, the the theme music for SG One is obviously based on the theme from the movie, which was yeah. Uh, uh, what was the guy's name that did it? Uh, who was awesome? Uh, David uh, Arnold. David Arnold, yeah. Uh, David Arnold, yeah. So uh, that was uh, I thought that was pretty cool that uh, he uh, he was the son. Not only is he the son of the man who composed. The music for this yeah, film that's so, and that's much so other, many other things in the Star Trek series as well. Jerry Goldsmith has, like, has been a mainstay of the Star Trek series. That his son composed the Stargate music and all the music for the shows, for the Stargate shows. I love it. That's so and cool. And that his son had a very small role doing sound effects for this film. So great. That's a great connection. I love it. Um, yeah, it's a cool connection. Uh, but we have one more. And this is a two-step. Okay. This is a two-step. So we, we're going to go through James Doohan, who notably plays Scotty in this film yeah. and in Star Trek, the original series. So uh, he was in a 1990 episode of MacGyver. Uh, <laughs> okay. Harry's Will. Um, what does MacGyver do in that episode? Uh, in this episode? Well, yeah, it's a, it was a good episode of MacGyver. I'm, I haven't seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of MacGyver, but not recently. Um, <laughs> what is James doing doing in this episode? I don't know. He's named Speedy, his character. I can't remember what is what happens in this episode of MacGyver. Uh, Harry's will leaves a vintage station wagon in MacGyver's possession. However, a bunch of crooks express great interest in finding the car, believing. A priceless diamond pendant is hidden inside. Oh shit! Is he one of the crooks? Uh, James Doohan? I don't yeah. know. Maybe he is. I don't know. I bet I'll he have is. To watch it. But anyway, uh, the star of the series MacIver is uh one uh, Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. And Richard Dean Anderson uh plays Colonel Jack O'Neill in Stargate SG One, who is the star of the Stargate SG-1 for the first couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he and, plays uh, Kurt Russell. Well, yeah, he plays the same character as Kurt Russell. Actually, 
slightly different character because his name ends in two L's, whereas uh, uh-huh. Kurt Russell's ends in only one L. Major difference. That was an interesting difference that they made into the <laughs> TV show. I wonder Actually, why. I don't you think know. it's just cheaper? What, to have two L's instead of one? Oh, they, they added an L. They added an L. That's more expensive. You're paying for all that extra L. I don't know. But it worked out, um, I think, with the extra L. Yeah. It was good. Seems to have <laughs> done all right for them. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that was our, our very first and likely only Six Degrees of Stargate. Well, I'm sure it'll make a sneak appearance another time. It'll yeah. we'll have to come back again, but that was excellent. Yeah, so we have two direct connections to Stargate. and uh, Which is amazing. I love the, the, the Joel Goldsmith. That's fantastic. I love yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, one two-step for James Dillon. And we got to talk about MacGyver, too, which is cool. Well, that's always a fucking win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's, uh, that's it for, uh, I think this segment but do we get anything else For, to talk about? Uh, n- not on this episode i mean we've got a lot I mean, we have more lots to talk more to talk about. about i mean like honestly stay tuned because yeah yeah we got we've got tons more star trek content uh next week's gonna be awesome because we're gonna be doing the actual production and some you know other great segments that you know and love um but yeah yeah this is this is a great way to start 2022 with a big segment yeah, um, big or a big, big episode rather. Big episode, big series. Um, big, yeah, big two episodes here. Big movie. Yeah, Star Trek yeah. motion picture, most underrated film in the series. That's a it's a bold claim, but I can't argue with it. I mean, at the moment, I think the only other one that you could say is that if you say uh, the Final Frontier is underrated, I mean it's definitely right. rated low, but. I think a lot of people would say that that's a proper it's rating. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. an accurate rating. It's an accurate rating for that one. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's neither here nor there. We we can't we can't you know yeah. speak to that now. But maybe when we do that movie, we'll talk about that. But, but yeah, yeah so we next got week, lots we'll of we'll back. talk about music. We'll talk about production, uh, some filming stuff. Uh, lots to talk about. Yeah, but still still tons of stuff. So yeah, next week. And you know, um, oh, I'm really mad that I didn't get to play the uh, the actual Six Degrees theme. You know, yeah, maybe like <laughs> maybe I'll just even... play it now. <laughs> yeah, you might as well. Like we could go out on it. There's no yeah. reason not to. 